Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Hello, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode number 164. My guest for today's episode is Ken Dawes. Ken is a tarot card reader, and he also does a lecture series on demystifying tarot in the hopes to educate people about it and its, its practical uses. There's a lot here. We go pretty deep. There's an extensive history to tarot, and there's all sorts of aspects of, about it that I hadn't even thought of. Obviously, I'm quite a novice with a lot of the things that we talk about on the podcast, and so I really didn't have a whole lot of knowledge about tarot. I obviously, to prepare for this episode, had read and researched a bit, but we go pretty deep here, which I'm really excited about. I'm going to keep all the how I heard about Ken and why I wanted to do this episode. I'll keep that for the actual conversation because we discuss all of that. But if you want to find out more information about Ken and more information about Tarot, you can go into the show notes for this episode where I have a link to his website. Hopefully once things open back up, you'll be able to attend a lecture in person and to learn some more. But use this conversation as, as a primer. What I would really love is if you, you know, sat down with a computer while you were listening to this and you hopped on Google and, and put in all the stuff that you didn't already know about. Those are the, the, the episodes that I think are, are the best when we can kind of curate knowledge and information for you and then you can go and expand upon that, that knowledge on your own. That is my hope for what we did here. Uh, but from a selfish sense, I had a great time talking to Ken. I thought this was super interesting and right up my alley. So again, go to the show notes and you will find links to Ken's social media and to his website so that you can find out more. There's also a link to my Patreon account, as there always is, and that's a subscription-based service with some cool kickbacks like shirts, stickers, and postcards from around the world. If not, share this with someone, whether you are tuning in because you know about tarot and want to hear about it, or if this is something brand new to you, but you find it interesting. Uh, word of mouth is a great way to get the, the podcast to some new ears, and I'd be greatly appreciative of that. All right, folks, short and sweet intro for today. Enjoy this conversation that I had with Ken. Oh, yeah. Well, first, Kenneth, thank you. This is really cool. Um, you're... Skill is in a realm that I don't know a whole lot about, so it's cool to get to talk to you and to get educated about it today. So thank you. I'm very happy to help. I guess the way that this topic sort of started was we've been going for walks at night just to get some exercise and try to get out when there's not people all over the sidewalks. And when we walk, we see a lot, you know, all the businesses are essentially shuttered up. And we've been seeing a lot, or at least noticing a lot lately, that there are a lot of tarot places near us. And, you know, first it got us thinking like, wow, how are they going to survive during this time with a, you know, a Brooklyn storefront where the rent must be astronomical? I would imagine it would be hard to pay that rent in the first place, but then, you know, how are you going to survive now that that storefront is gone? And so then I just sort of went down this weird rabbit hole of thinking and, and looking up tarot and investigating it a bit. And I think there's a little bit of a connection to some of the past people that I've had on the podcast. So I reached out to my small little network and I was like, who knows someone that can, that can read, that can educate us? And Laura, who was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, was like, I've got the perfect person for you. And I reached out and we've chatted a bit and now here we are. 
Great. Yeah, that's right. I know Laura. Um, she came in. <laughs> yeah, I know her well. She's uh, really cool. Um, yeah, maybe I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll start here before I even get into, you know, your introduction into the craft. Um, I guess maybe for people who are, you know, really unfamiliar, as, as I pretty much was before I started researching a bit, can we give like a broad overview of, of what tarot is and, and like what a tarot reading is? Okay. Um, I think it, it's really hard to define because in part it's inherently subjective, in part it's inherently uh, something we, uh, every, every person that approaches tarot comes from their own past, meaning there's no school, there's no institution. So to become a tarot card reader, how do you become that? I think it's with the initiative. You, you feel an initiative, you've learned something and you want to bring it back to the world. Um, for me, that began with uh, just sort of realizing I felt very comfortable and I wanted to connect with um, real people. So I went down to a local bar and I talked to the bartender in Brooklyn, um, Crown Heights, and I, I said, hey, uh, I do a thing. I'd like to try it out here. What do you think? And he, he gave me permission that day. I had four or five back-to-back -back readings and each one felt great. Um, so that's sort of how I got started reading tarot. And for the, for the uninitiated, um, you, you tell me if I'm correct, essentially tarot began as, as almost like playing cards before people started to use them for like divinity purposes. Yeah, that's correct. So if you go back, if you, if you want to understand where tarot came from, you have to begin, I think, in China. And in China, wow. in uh, the 900s, um, uh, China was developing printing technology, and it was moving very fast. And so with the development of printing technology, we were able to then create in mass production cards and games and things of that sort. Um, later on, uh, you know, printing technology would move into Europe. Um, the, uh, in the 1300s in uh, Muslim Spain, there were um, the Mamluk cards. And we understand that they must have disseminated into Europe through things like trade and wars. And um, when you're a soldier and you're visiting foreign lands, what might you do? You might enjoy the food. You might also enjoy the entertainment, what kind of games people might be playing. So the cards and printing technology evolved hand in hand. Um, and eventually they became a thing by which uh, noble classes could uh, sort of convey their royalty mm. um, by commissioning a deck. For example, the Visconti Sforza deck which came about sometime between 1420 and 1440 in Milan, uh, that was created as a commission for a, a, um, a marriage between the Sforza family and the Visconti family. Whoa. Is there a connection to, to Egypt? Because a lot of what I was reading was some people were saying that this might have come out of Egypt. Other people were saying it didn't. 
I think that's a, that's a really interesting question. And I think that's part of uh, what I find really fun about tarot is trying to trace it back to ancient Egypt, Mesopotamia, Sumer, Babylon, that area of the world, because it does seem to have roots to that. Um, how so? I mean, the thing is, the tarot card deck has changed um, dramatically. I mean, for example, the earliest tarot card decks we have are largely Western European depictions of people, uh, heteronormative, like largely um, just your classic medieval times images. Um, but it's uh, the Egyptian part of it there, I think, comes from prote- potentially astrological components that are held within the cards. I think a lot of the ways in which we understood our relationship to the divine was sort of um, kind of we found connections with the with Egyptian society in the way that they were um in fact, if you look at the hero fan card, which kind of looks like a pope, if you look at that card, um, uh, it goes back. Hierophant is a, a word that traces back to ancient Egypt. Um, it, it was the people in charge of the mysteries. Oh. What are the mysteries? Uh, we're still dealing with them. Wow. And then, you know, if if I go to you and and you're doing readings or if I go to someone else, is everyone nowadays in 2020 essentially using like the same deck or are there different maybe schools within, within the craft? Uh, There's many different types of deck. Uh, The most popular deck would be the Rider Waite Smith deck Um, that came about in 1910. It was published by, um, it's named after uh, Alfred E. Waite. He was a member of what they call the, um, the the order the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn yeah. um, that is a somewhat occult group that was very um, important in the early 1900s in in Victorian England. Um, they they had they looked at the cards like they were tools for meditation. They were flashcards, if you will, um, that could help you think about your life cycle in a certain perspective that has maybe been ironed out throughout time. So if I'm going to, you know, meet Tim now in, you know, in 2020, if I'm going to a reading, like, why would I be doing that? Am I going to figure out what's happening in my life now? Am I going for some sort of wisdom about the direction that my life is going? Like, like fortune telling? Well, that's a funny question. Um, I think that the, the thing about tarot is everybody has a different perspective. And I think that because it doesn't have an authority, for example, it doesn't have any kind of doctrine that guides it, people can approach it in different ways. Mm. Um, I think that why would you go and get a tarot card reading? I mean, there's a, there's a number of different reasons and there's so many different types of people. Uh, you might just be walking down 14th Street and, and see a shop and think, oh, I've never had a tarot card reading before. I'll try it out. Uh, you might be a person that really, really kind of craves tarot card readings. There's people like that. Um, I think I think by and large, it, it's really a wide net. And in fact, when I was working on 14th Street, um, really, you see a wide variety of people. In fact, that's how I met Lara. Um and we had such a great conversation. And I'll tell you that part of the joy and the benefit of tarot, I think, is in having a 
for maybe 15, 20 minutes, maybe an hour, sitting down, really going through what's going on in a person's life. But you're not reading them. You're not reading their face. You're not reading how they're responding. What you're doing is you're looking at the cards. And I think the cards within themselves contain so many different lessons and stories, um, different places where we might find ourselves in life that we can't help but reflect on those images. And my job is sort of to take my, my understanding of the tarot, which I've developed over a little over a decade now. Um, it contains so many images and symbols, so many languages that help us better understand who we are against the backdrop of a universe through which we can't really uh, put a put a thumb on it. We can only we can only try to feel it out. And I think when we have those conversations, which if you think about it, are really rare to have a nice, genuine conversation with somebody. And w when I'm talking to you, I'm looking at the cards and I'm unpacking the cards for you. And in that way, uh, a narrative is formed. If you resonate with that narrative, great. If you don't, I can't tell you, uh, I can't tell you that this was for you. I, God gave me this message for you. I believe that when you read the cards, um, it's, it's to help, it's to help people look at the larger aspect of their lives while they're experiencing it in a granular or microcosmic way. Wow. I guess I had always sort of been under the assumption that the reader of the cards was the person who held, maybe it's the wrong terminology, but say like the power or maybe like the, the ability, like the divination part of it. Um, but am I correct in that the, the reader is more of an interpreter and that the ability to reflect something from the person's life comes from the cards themselves? I think it's a, I think these are very loaded questions because the, it goes back to where does the information come from? Mm. And what you'll find is there's people out there who might say, I have a, I have a connection with the spiritual. Um, I, I can't, I, I, I'm clairvoyant. Um, you know, whatever it might be, I have vision. Um, and I think that for me, for example, I find that when you go down that road, you're opening the door for so many explanations for where information is coming from. So when I do a tarot card reading, I do my best to keep it grounded, which could be a fault. It could be a fault to be too grounded because there's, there's beauty and poetry in that um, allowing yourself to go into what you might call the deep end. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, I think that if you go too far in the deep end, then you're no longer connecting with the people here and you might, you might lose them along the way. So while the information, while uh, the, the wisdom of tarot might be incredibly uh, deep, intricate, beautiful, um, you're, you have to convey that in a way that it resonates with, with someone and, and it might not. Um, but often uh, through the conversation, um, what you find, and I find myself 
more often than not that people are do resonate with uh, the story, the narrative that that comes to me. Um, but do I believe that narrative comes from a, an amalgamation of my own human experience and a projection of it or from a divine power or from a spirit? I think that it's it's pointless to ask that question because you can't really know. And I, I don't want to go out there and tell anybody that they're not psychic or anything like that. But I think it's, I think that that might be part of the reason why tarot has uh, developed somewhat of a stigma. Uh, to be fair, it's, it has been uh, banned by popes in the past during medieval Europe. Um, but on the same token, I think that there's so much to be gained by learning about tarot that we'd be doing ourselves a disservice to, um, to not look at it just because it might um, agitate an aspect of how we understand our relationship with our religion, if we have one. So um, it's interesting because I really think the question has a lot to do with where's the information coming from and who are you stating that it's uh, real? Yeah, wow. There's a lot, there's a lot there, actually. <laughs> I was just thinking that... Um, it's sort of funny that it, it would be banned. Uh, obviously, within the Christian tradition, there's the, you know, do not worship any other idols but the Judeo-Christian God. But it, it's just interesting where it's like, well, if people look for answers somewhere else, the power structure of the church maybe loses its influence. And uh, maybe like <laughs> my understanding of it is of like a, a little bit more of an insidious nature in like not allowing people to seek answers in other places um, but that just seems to be historically, uh, what the, the power structure of the church has done. I mean, we don't have to go too deep into the weeds, but, uh, it's just something I was thinking. I think, I think that for me, that's always been interesting. And I, I feel like if it weren't for my, if it weren't for my Christian background growing up, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't, I'd say we were in my generation, we, we were not as connected with things, in fact, I'm not even Catholic, but I grew up in a family that was um, largely Catholic. And I loved the rituals and I loved the church and I love religious places. And I love thinking about the symbols and the images and the iconography. I think it's interesting because what you'll find is thinking about Catholic and, and again, my relationship to it, I think about power structure, of course. I think about the Vatican. I think about crusades. Um, I think about the Inquisition. But I also think about, um, for me, thinking about Ireland and thinking about uh, Catholic churches, uh, an image that comes to mind is the Sheila McGig. And if you don't know what that is, it's, a, um, it's sort of a statue that's carved into the wall in the ceiling of a church. Mm. And it's a, uh, a an image of a woman uh, sort of um, bearing uh, her maternal aspects uh, to the world in a very open way. And um, you, you would think, why would I ever find that in a Catholic church? Um, but at a time, um, perhaps they, the, maybe even more so in the churches of Ireland, you find a, a hybrid or a bridge between the more pagan uh, type of uh, connection with spirit versus the uh, more rigid 
structured uh, Catholic version of religion. Yeah, and I guess the other thought that just popped into my mind was, you know, forgive me for being ignorant of a lot of the correct terminology, but I guess I had always thought of like the wisdom coming vertically, right? Either up or down. Like you're you're getting the the information. Uh, I guess like from what whatever we would think of as like a deity. Um, and I know you're saying like perhaps perhaps that could be true, but it also sounds like you're you're saying it's more of a tool for a, if it makes sense to say a horizontal connection between. Uh, the people in the here and the now in the, in the physical form. Well, I think that's a, I think it's a, I, I don't, I want to call it vertical or horizontal. I, it's more like think of a, a point at which things can orbit out from it. Um, oh. emit out from that point, like uh, a spider web meaning almost. that it can go in all directions. It's hard to, it's hard to explain, but t- think of t- if you, you're from like you're in New York, Mm-hmm. Um, people often compare New York to being a melting pot because there's so many different cultures and they're all blending together in this spot. I think tarot is sort of the same thing in which uh, the images are a conglomeration of symbols and references and allusions to different books and different traditions from all over the globe. And they all come together in the Rider Waite Smith deck many of them, not all of them, because a major thing being sorted out with tarot is the inclusivity of tarot. People are getting tired of looking at the same old images depicting the same old uh, archetypes and, and, and figures. So, uh, yeah, I went off on a bit of a tangent there. but No, that's interesting. Actually, it's something I hadn't thought of. And again, like my mind's just sort of popping here. Uh, you know, but I've read some work that essentially said, you know, uh, people who know about Catholicism from a historical standpoint know that if, you know, Jesus of Nazareth was essentially from the region of the world today that we call the Middle East, he wouldn't be a white skinned person, but that, uh, through Renaissance artists, and the people buying the art, you know, the, the wealthy folks buying the art from Renaissance artists, they were buying a depiction of God that was in their image, right? Because these were people who were white. Um, so it sounds like maybe you're saying similarly that the tarot decks were reflecting like Eurocentric peoples. Is that true? Definitely. A hundred percent true. Interesting. Uh, but they've changed a lot. And if I were going to recommend just randomly one deck that I think um, is a, does a good job of being more, uh, I don't know, more inclusive, somewhere, somewhere open, I would be the Mesquite Tarot deck. Mesquite Tarot. Mesquite. Cool. So, all right. Again, I'm trying to like form these questions that don't sound like super crazy, but essentially like I had been watching a bit on YouTube to see how some people do it. Um, and when you first lay out cards, is is it, is it true or at least of your practice that you start out with like a past, a a present and a future card? You can, um, there's different, there's different spreads, uh, that we use. Um, the Celtic cross spread, 10 card spread is probably the most popular. 
um, very somewhat advanced for someone learning. Therefore, you might do a uh, three-card spread, which might be past, present, future. Uh, where where does past, present, future come from? Why do we name it that? The point you don't you don't have to. That's a good three-part way to look at something that a story that you're trying to understand. Maybe that story is about you, and that's what you're trying to pull out by looking at the cards. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was wondering about that future part of it. And maybe it's up to the interpretation of the reader, but maybe for you, like, do you think that what it's reading is something that's predetermined or is past, present and future on the timeline happening at the same time? Um, yeah. That's a great question. I think even the way you packaged it is, is past, present and future happening at the same time. Um, that when you put the question like that, I'm immediately thinking about ideas like the multiverse, uh, the idea of things happening, happening simultaneously. Is it even possible? Um, those questions for me are born out of my looking into the tarot because we're programmed, we're taught, we we're indoctrinated. However you want to put it, life is linear. You're born and then you die. I think, if, for example, if you're Christian uh, and you think of Jesus as the Alpha Omega, there you go. You've got the beginning and the end. Mm. But when you look at tarot, uh, yeah, you can find a linear story between the ma- in the major arcana, and we haven't really talked about how it's broken up between the major arcana and the minor arcana. But in the major arcana, we go from zero to twenty-one. Um, but it's very important to recognize that when you get to twenty-one, you find the world card with a figure dancing, holding two batons within a wreath, a circular wreath, which is very much in the shape of a zero. You're going, the, the beauty of tarot, if you want to think of it in, and I hate to, well, let's, why, the thing about uh, tarot is that while you find the um, significance of polar opposites, of black and white, you find in between the spectrum. And that is part of what tarot helps us meditate upon is understanding not the black and white of human existence, but looking at the spectrum of human existence. And I think that's partly uh, the one of the helpful, yeah, I think that's a great benefit of tarot. Oh, that's cool. That's interesting. Uh, I'm reading a book right now about about dreams and it's, it's called the Tibetan yogas of dream and sleep. Uh, it's largely in preparation for a podcast I'm doing next week with a dream interpreter. But within that, it talks a lot about it. Obviously it's a Buddhist principle, but I think maybe it applies to, uh, to not getting caught up in the duality of things, right? Like you said, the black or the white, like the extremes of each potential outcome and becoming too attached to one of them. Um, so that's cool. Sort of that gray area. Definitely. And I think um, another important point that maybe occurs to me through tarot or I learned along the way is, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. No, it's okay. Um, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot here. This goes pretty deep. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Let me try to trace it back. I think I lost it. I'm sorry, man. No, that's okay. I mean, 
So I was thinking this too. I'm I'm quite adventurous. Oh, I got it back. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, you're good. Um, okay. Um, I don't know if you want to repose the question, but the point I wanted to make quickly was that um, tarot contains sort of like a hybrid of both the Western and the Eastern approach to spirituality, which goes off of what you just said, which is, um, for example, when you're Christian or, uh, or Jewish or Muslim or a, a number of other faiths, you might pray to a being. You might pray upwards or downwards even. Right. But the point is you're praying to an externalized force, um, and maybe you call it God. Uh, to me, when I think about Shintoism or Confucianism or Taoism or um, Hinduism or Buddhism, I, to me, it feels, and I could be completely incorrect, but it feels like uh, what they're doing is they're, uh, they're acknowledging certain influences of, of the aspect within. And therefore, I think that in a way, these principles are married in the tarot, you find them in certain images. For example, like the uh, the chariot card. Again, going back to the the Wade Smith deck. Uh, in the middle, you find a little symbol with a rod encased in a in, in a circle, and it's called the Shiva Lingam. And Shiva Lingam, and that goes back to Hinduism. Yeah. And so, what is the Shiva Lingam? It's it, it's a symbol that represents the idea of what maybe I used to call the masculine and feminine force, which I, I feel is better articulated uh, in the way that Rachel Pollack puts it, which is contractive and expansive. Mm. Can you, can you like extrapolate from that a little bit? Can you, can you explain that? Right. So I can really go all over the map and I think I might try a little bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, contractive and expansive. So black and white. Uh, you have the absence of light and then you have uh, light, the entire spectrum. Um, contractive and expansive. You On the high priestess card, you have two pillars. Uh, that's card number two in the major arcana. You've got Jacob and Boaz. Um, how do I know that? Because you've got J and B on the two pillars. Uh, if you want to look more into it, it's very interesting, but they, but they have very rich symbolic representations of themselves. However, they represent polar opposites. Um, and again, going back to the idea of contractive and expansive in that we are doing that physically with our own breath all the time. We are contracting and expanding. Um, if you think about an atom through the Rutherford, a Rutherford gold foil experiment, we found that an atom is not a dense particle, right. but really a dense core of protons and nucle uh, neutrons surrounded by a cloud of electrons. The, the idea, to me, that's a perfect analogy in a certain way and that life is always moving toward a direction, but then it's also receding back. Yeah, I mean, that's the... But the, that happens in endless cycles. 
that's the very nature of the universe. I was just reading this book recently. I think, you know, most people understand the concept of the Big Bang, you know, existing as this nothing and then exploding outwards. But there's also this idea, well, and then obviously it would eventually contract back, but there's this other uh, hypothesis that what we're existing now is the bounce back, that it exploded into a universe, expanded back into nothing, and then we're on the bounce back from that, um, that like constant movement. That's interesting. I think, yeah, I think it's really beautiful. And I think that's part of the point of tarot too, because it trains your mind to move between the harsh opposites that we use to compartmentalize the world, the reality that we live in. But going off your point with thinking about like, for example, the, the, the Milky Way galaxy, um, you know, there's documentaries. It's so interesting to realize how the rocky planets were formed, in what order, which, how the gaseous planets were formed. And we can do this by, with our understanding of relativity and gravitation and uh, electromagnetivity. And while we may not definitively know what we do, we can still speculate and theorize a pretty solid conclusion about how this happened, mm. um, you know, through, through physics. And, you know, to me, it's, it, I find that mind blowing because the, what's most interesting is that dance, again, going back to the world card, it's represented there. Uh, but the dance between these opposites, perhaps, and I don't even want to call them opposites. They're just different ends of the spectrum that are flowing back and forth. Um, however, if that was only happening, nothing would really move from an area. So what it's easier to think of it in term, and this might be a little bit of a weird way to put it, but of recursion of spirals and loops uh, within loops, loops within loops. And that is the tarot card deck. Wow. Yeah. I was thinking back to the origin for a second. Cause I, I was, I had this idea that like, wow, what a deep and profound understanding of things in the universe or if it's not an understanding at least like philosophizing and thinking about the universe from you know perhaps ancient peoples right that we often look back on as far less advanced than we are now but that's like a really sophisticated uh and deep line of thinking if you know the cards were interpreted in the same way way back i don't know no, definitely. I think um, I think what you're. I think that's very interesting. Um, I I want to try to connect the dots that I've kind of connected um, mm. to see if I can paint a picture. Um, but what I'm so one of my favorite things to talk about when I teach a class is uh, Pythagorean theorem. And we, we all kind of are familiar with that. We learn about it in middle school. Uh, a squared plus B squared equals C squared. It's, um, you know, how we, how we can learn the area of a right triangle. But why, what does that matter? Why do we learn that for a standardized test? Um, what's the point of it? And what I found so much more interesting was learning that in I think it was Babylon, and really they're just different names for the same region uh, at different times, um, or Sumerian tablet. I think it's Plimpton 322. I'd have to double check. 
The point is there's a Sumerian tablet that contains uh, numbers that reflect the formula of the Pythagorean theorem. So to, put, to make it short, Pythagoras made it into a code. He codified the formula a squared plus b squared equals c squared. But many, many, many years before him, the Sumerians were aware of this equation. Whoa. They just depicted it with the actual numbers that they measured. So what do you think that means? That, uh, I mean, sort of that notion that I was talking about, that like the advanced or the advanced nature of civilizations goes way, goes back further than we maybe thought? Definitely. I think that, for example, like if you think about where um, hierarchies are coming from, where they develop from, it, for me, in my mind, it comes from the development of civilization at the very beginning. Um, you have you have a need because you have people, and the, the need is that they need to eat. Um, so how do we feed them? Well, we need to... If we're an agricultural-based society, then we need to make sure we have enough land. Okay, well, we only have so many people to work that land. Okay, so who's doing what job? No, I understand. Yeah. I mean, I can connect it back because um, my thoughts, dude, this is like, I don't, there's, there's already a really fantastic podcast called Tangentially Speaking. But if, I mean, this should be called Tim's Tangents or something because my mind goes all over the freaking place. Um, <laughs> but I will, and like, I'm enjoying this. Like my, my brain's just popping all over the place. But I'll tie it back to the cards and say that I'm both adventurous in life in a lot of realms, but then also sort of cautious and maybe afraid. I, I think you went back and listened to the episode that I recorded with Melissa and said like, man, I'd be terrified if someone I knew had, you know, casted something upon me because we were talking about witchcraft and the oh, occult yeah. in that one because like I what would I do to get out of it and that is terrifying and so I also think that maybe I'd be a bit apprehensive to hear about well this is the trajectory that your life might go in because I think I would start acting in a way to where if I heard was something I liked I would do things to try to make that outcome happen but if what I heard was something I didn't like I would try to avoid it um, I don't know if that even makes sense or if that even really relates to the way that cards are read uh, or if that's, you know, something that people you've read for have ever had like a similar, you know, fear or trepidation. No, I'm glad that you bring that up. And I think it has everything to do with um, what's incredibly important to me when it comes to tarot, which is the ethics of tarot. And I'm lucky because I've met some people along the way who, who um, kind of fostered this uh, interest of mine. And um, one person, and she's a great, amazing friend. Her name's Riva. She's from the Lower East Side, and she reads tarot. Um, she taught me never read three the three Ds, death, disease, divorce. What does that mean? It means that there's certain places you shouldn't go. And in my experience, I've heard, well, I'll tell you, I've had people tell me that they've seen uh, like a, a portal to hell in their basement in Brooklyn, uh, ghost baby. Um, there's just so many things people have told me, and I know that they did it with complete authenticity. Um, 
But on the same token, there's something I find incredibly important about tarot, which is that you have somebody in a vulnerable space and they're paying you money to do a service for them. And if they walk out feeling like a ball is going to drop on them and kill them, uh, that's really, first of all, how do you know that? Are you truly clairvoyant? And uh, that's something I think if you're going to say that you are, then maybe maybe there should be some evidence behind it. I'm not sure. Um, but basically, keep in mind that people are coming to you for maybe for help, for guidance. And that your job is to read the cards. And if you see a prophecy, a prediction, if you feel a strong inkling that something bad is going to happen, in my mind, I would never say it. Wow. And in fact, that's not how things occur to me anyway. I don't see, um, I just, you know, if anything, if I, if I sense people are moving in a, in the wrong direction through our conversation, which is based off the card, then I'm not one to dispense advice. That's not what being a tarot card reader is. But if I feel that I can help them by being a calm, patient, gentle, caring person, then great. And in fact, something, you know, again, tarot being a subject that opens your mind to allowing things to float in and out. Um, I find Ram Das, who wrote that book. I, um, it's a beautiful book, but I forget what it's called. Is it Be Here uh, Now? Very popular. You know it? Be Here Now? Yes. Um, well, I was watching him speak uh, and as he was an older man and he said, I, the mantra I meditate with is I am loving awareness. And if you go into things with that type of attitude, I mean, would you, if you knew something was going to happen to your friend, you somebody was going to break up with them. You knew it because they told you, are you going to, yeah, you have a choice to tell them, but I think, uh, you have to keep in mind when you're interfering also with the, the natural flow of things. I think if you're, if someone's coming to you for a tarot card reading, that it's kind of a, a, an interruption that they're requesting in their life. They want an outside viewpoint in what's happening in their life. Wow. So then is that heavy for you as a reader? Does it take like a certain emotional toll to, to reading someone's cards? I think it depends on the subject. Uh, you can have a very light reading. Um, generally, a light reading doesn't feel as heavy hitting as another, as a, a deeper, more emotional reading. But what I do find is that, and I, and I could never tell you how or why, or even if it's true, um, but I do find that certain people leave almost like a cloud has left. Whatever, whatever was haunting them has been removed. Um, to me, that's the real goal of tarot is when people walk out, I want them to feel good. And I don't want it to be what I call plus town. I don't want it to be just meaningless, uh, vagaries. You know, when you sit down, we should, you should leave feeling good about the money that you paid because it's a really, even if you don't resonate with any of it, you should leave feeling like you learned a lot. And I think later that those reflections will help you. 
Wow, it's funny. I'm thinking, I'm actually, we were just right before this watching a Netflix documentary about psychedelics, but maybe that's why I'm thinking about this. Is but but it's making- molecule? No, it's not. It's not about DMT per se. Actually, this one is like, it's a bunch of celebrities talking about their psychedelic experiences. Um, but I don't know, for, for, that just triggered, I mean, they didn't mention, at least not yet, maybe we're about halfway through, they didn't mention Andrew Weil on there, but um, I think he maybe is the one who came up with the idea of like set and setting for psychedelics, how if you want to use it as a tool and not have like a terrible experience, uh, your mindset going into it and the setting that you do this uh, you know, psychedelic aid, uh, those things are like vitally important to you being able to use it successfully. And it's just, it, sort of what you were describing there made me think of that, like your mindset maybe as a reader and your mindset as a person receiving the information and sort of the setting sounds like it'd be really important to having like a positive uh, tarot experience maybe. Well, uh, I think positive, like to call it positive is relative because mm. you could also get a horrible reading, meaning that you've unpacked some horrible psychological trauma that you've dealt with recently or in the long ago past. And uh, it's come up randomly, you've just kind of opened a wound randomly with this person. Um, and hopefully you're, you're with an ethical person that recognizes uh, what's happening. And then... Um, uh, again, those are the ones that feel when they walk away, feeling like that cloud has gone away. Just, I believe that there's therapy and simply talking about things. Mm. Uh, I'm not a therapist. I'm not certified or in, in anything like that. Um, but I do know that for me, talking about things helps me process what I'm going through. So, um, you know, as a joke, sometimes I think of, reading tarot, like being the Lucy of a uh, paying five cents in the Charlie Brown comic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but on the same token, like I know that there, while you may hear me be very reserved about the mystical, magical, ethereal component of tarot, I do, I do, I don't want to say it's true, but it is true that we can reflect on those ideas. Um, are we communicating with some kind of external force, whether it's through uh, meditation or prayer um, or doing mantras, uh, yoga? Um, I think, yeah, I think they're all, I think they share a certain mindset that's helpful. And I think that when you were talking about set and setting, I think you're right. Like I would never whip out my cards on a, a bar table anymore. Just not that they're sacred, but they're important to me. It's like my instrument, my guitar, whatever it might be. Um, so when I do a tarot card reading, I, I very much care about the setting because I want you to feel calm. I want you to feel relaxed. I want you to think maybe, oh, I like that little thing over there. Um, and then we can talk because the whole point is about talking. I mean, but there will always be an expectation of what people think a tarot card reading should look like. Wow. 
I mean, when I'm thinking about all these things, in a way, there sound there sounds like there's some similarities. If it's, uh, you know, religious philosophies and traditions, or psychedelics, or card reading, do you think that these things are connected to some sort of, I don't know what you like, some sort of a truth? Well, um, what immediately comes to mind is, I forget what you call it, but the experiment where uh, people were exposed to a set of images which contained a jaguar, a snake, a spider, and their brains connected to the EKG uh, lit up in the same areas, indicating that we have amongst us Mm. somewhat of a primal response to certain images. I think that there's speculation, I don't know how grounded it is, but there's speculation that even when it comes to things like the Holocaust, that those things can be embedded in our DNA and that our future generations suffer some kind of inherited depression from these events that happened outside our bodies. Um, Is it possible? I'm not sure. Um, But I think... Yeah, that's the that's the study of um, of epigenetics. The like share like even you know some people talk about. We have a friend. Uh, I don't know why I'm like, giggling about it, but who who's mentioned like ancestral trauma, um, and for some people that might sound really like woo woo, like oh come on, but like there's actual science. I think that they've done it with either mice or rats, and I can't tell you exactly what the study was. Um, but it was something with like a shock, right? That they would get a shock when doing a certain action and their offspring then would have like this visceral reaction, like thinking they were going to get shocked, but the experiment had never been done to them. Showing that exactly like something must get coded into your DNA that then gets passed on. I mean, that could we could go really deep on that topic and talk about some real like socioeconomic issues in this country and, and abroad, but... Um, that's that's a really interesting connection. Yeah, and I think that, for example, I made the point about a jaguar, a snake, and a spider, but why not um, Romeo and Juliet or um, um, Inyana or um, Snow White or the Tiger's Bride? Um, you know, I'm, I'm mentioning fairy tales and, and folk tales from all over the globe that I can think of, like, at the drop of a hat, but they in learning about fairy tales, which was part of my um, academic, um, you find structures that are similar between tales. And in fact, um, Joseph Campbell has inspired a lot of my interest and curiosity and filled in a lot of the blanks that I, that I had before. And when I found him, I felt very happy because I felt, oh man, finally somebody telling me that religion is made of symbols and that we don't have to buy into some type of miracle or magic or what have you. I really appreciated having the choice. Um, but while I bring up Joseph Campbell, who I love, um, I also feel it's important that we continue to hold our heroes with a critical eye. And I think that there's been, uh, writings about Joseph Campbell that, uh, are worthy of investigation. Um, but on the same token, I know that I learned a lot about the world uh, tradition and religion through his work. Um, and I'm curious about what's next. What's the next chapter of 
storytelling. In fact, tarot, tarot reading is inherently a form of continuing the oral tradition of storytelling. And in fact, that's what gives me joy about it is that I feel I'm participating in an ancient tradition of storytelling. Mm. Wow. You know, I think when we, we first communicated, um, I mentioned this, and I was going to ask, like, hey, is it possible to do a reading on the podcast? But I don't know. Like, after you mention a lot of this, it sounds like it's a very personal experience. It sounds like, you know, it could bring up a lot of stuff. I don't even know if this is, like, the right format for it. Like, what are, you, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, we could try it if you want to. I'm not against it. And if you want to, you know, you know, dump it, it's whatever. Well, um but I could go grab a deck or do you have a deck with you? I, I don't. I'm a total, total novice. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can pause it for a second and then we could grab one. And I guess we'll, we'll just have to explain a lot because, you know, everyone, hello, everyone out there right now listening, uh, can't see this. So we'll just have to like make this as visual as possible for them. So the question is, what do you want me to read? Wow. Okay. So yeah, cool. Um, I was going to ask that too. Am I supposed to come to this with a question? Well, the question is, are you the subject? Are you the querent? Are you the one asking the question? Wow. I it could be me asking myself a question. It could be, I mean, if we want to be playful about it, it could be me uh, reading like Trump or something, which I would rather not do. No, um, let's, <laughs> we, we could do me. I think I'm really open on, on this podcast about myself, maybe more show, so than I should be. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I am 34 next month. Um, and I have my hand in, in a few different things in life. And we've, my partner and I have been talking about maybe moving out of New York. Um, so I'm, I'm cer certainly interested maybe in the trajectory of my life over the next couple of years. If, if that's a question that can be asked. Okay, cool. Uh, I think that another something that's helpful when you're asking a question is to pose it in a way of uh, that gives yourself agency and empowers you. So how can I find, like you might ask, where can I find uh, what my soul wants me to do? Or where can I, like, you can say where, where will I see myself in the next couple of years, but where you might ask, where can I find the wisdom to know where I want to go and what I want to do? Oh, I like that. Okay, yeah, I was going to say like, what is the choice I will make? But I like I like that more. So, um, yeah, what what is what is the thing that's going to maybe show me the path that I'm taking? Okay, so I'm going to shuffle a card. Cool. And again, uh, the point of what I was trying to say was simply that a lot of people will ask questions like, will, will he or she or they fall in love with me? Right. Um, will I get the job? And it, it's often like you become a, uh, a passive person in the question itself. So if you can make yourself the active part of the question, then you can say you're framing the question in a way that's potentially more helpful and gives you more agency and you can call that power. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Totally. Cool. Oh yeah, this is exciting. All right. 
So generally, when I do a tarot card reading, I will ask the person to cut three times. Okay. Um, it's just something people learn along the way. It's not something you have to do. I don't think anything that you learn in tarot where people say you can't do it this way is true. I think that because of the way it's built, people can really use it any way they want. And that's part of the beauty, again, is that it's so open-ended. Uh, but what we're doing is a three-card spread. So I'm going to throw three cards for Tim. And what I'm looking at to begin with is the Hierophant, which we mentioned before, oh. uh, the Empress, which is in the middle, and the Six of Cups, which is the future. So I'm not going to talk so much about what's going to happen to you, Tim. Okay. But I'm going to talk about the cards and let me know, or whoever, uh, if they resonate with you, if they don't. Um, but again, I'm just going to go into the cards. We've got the Hero Fan. And in the hero fan, we've got what I called before a pope-like figure and two acolytes at his feet. The, the three of them form some kind of uh, like a trifecta, really. And you can see that the pope is at the top of that. In between, you've got two keys. And these keys are the keys to the kingdom of knowledge. They're, they're keys to help you uh, understand where you're going. Now, the hero fan, who is he? What is he? What is he doing? Um, he is a gatekeeper, and he sits between two pillars. Um, we saw those pillars previously in the High Priestess, but they were black and white. They're gray now. Why are they gray? Because we've entered the human realm where those polar opposites do not exist in purity, but only as a copy of that purity, and so they are more gray. And so uh, the Hierophant, the Hierophant coming behind you might suggest that a path of indoctrination, a path of tutelage, a path of uh, pursuing uh, the library, the, the compendium of human knowledge enclosed, uh, kept in a library, the secrets, the mysteries, everything you want to know about life, it's right behind me. But you gotta understand the book first. That's Whoa. the past. Okay. Then you've got in the middle, if you want to call it the present, uh, the Empress, uh, with the number three in the major arcana. Uh, when I think of her, I think of Greek goddesses like uh, Ceres and Demeter, or the corn goddesses, um, Virgo, because she's uh, in a field of wheat. And uh, on her dress are pomegranates, and at her feet is a heart-shaped shield with the sign of Venus in it. And her, her crown has 12 stars, which represent each of uh, the 12 signs of the zodiac. And she holds a wand, which represents the sun. Um, and so all these elements are combined with her. And not only that, but if you look at the string of pearls on her neck, there are nine which go back to nine planets. Um, so there's so many things being alluded to in this one card, uh, but to bring it back to what it, how, what it, to you, the Empress is the time of plenty. The, the Empress is the bringer of spring. The Empress, from the Empress, all life. Uh, she is sort of like, you could think of her like a mother nature or a Gaia figure. Um, 
meaning that she represents, the, well, and I could be wrong there, but she represents the physical aspect, the earthly aspect of the maternal, of uh, bringing life, of the place where life springs. Um, that is what she is. Um, there's so much more to talk about, but then moving forward with the Six of Cups, We've got a figure of, um, we don't know, it's a smaller person, uh, maybe a teenager, we're not sure. Bringing, um, bringing a gift to a young child. Um, and, and in this exchange, it, uh, it, it's, always, it's a very friendly, kind, pleasant. I mean, when you think about walking down the sidewalk and, and you get one of those smiles that you know that they're happy to see you and they have no idea who you are. You just feel a little bit better. Hmm. Um, we, that's what's falling in, in, the, in the front or what we would call the future. Okay. Um, so to combine them, that, which is part of, the, part of doing a tarot card reading, is that when, if you can understand them individually, you need to then take a step back and look at the big picture. So we've got the mysteries, the guardian of the mysteries behind us. We've got um, a figure from whom uh, incredible uh, growth is born. And then we have the idea of giving. Cool. Okay. It's vague, right? No, I I mean, (laughs) I'm not necessarily sharing, but I'm sort of uh, in my own mind sort of maybe connecting that to what I think that could be. I'm not going to say, I, I don't think, but yeah, that's cool. I like that. And I, and, and I think that's part of the magic of what happens with tarot. And I really, I think there's a magic in having a conversation that's authentic and genuine with another person. Uh, because the truth is while the cards represent archetypes and symbols and, and we can trace them back to the past and better understand ourselves. I think that in what you're doing with your podcast and talking to a lot of random people and just getting their story, you know, I think that's the, I think that's where the truth is. I think we've, you know, we talk all about divisiveness and, and polar polarized uh, culture, whatnot. It's true. It's, it's very much true, but have we lost the optimism? Have we lost the, uh, the childlike interest in uh, what is another person? Because, you know, as Walt Whitman says, I contain magnitude. Mm-hmm you contain magnitudes. We all contain magnitudes. And so instead of, I mean, there's so much to be learned within each other. You know, if you look at a Western religion, I pray up to God. If you look at Eastern religion, I try to find the God within myself. um, If you want to call it that, but then, you know, what if, what if like we, each of us is simply a reflection of that thing, whatever it might be, if you want to believe in it. Yeah, you just said something really beautiful and it makes me think of something really dark, <laughs> which is weird. <laughs> I, I, it was, ah, oh man, my brain is real foggy. It was either Bill Hicks or George Carlin, I think. Oh my God, who was it? Was it even like Dave Chappelle? No, I think it maybe was like Bill Hicks who mentions that like these like, these truth tellers, right? Like a Walt Whitman maybe, maybe like people who are like what we would call like really enlightened, I guess they come around and he's like, well, what do we do with those people? 
we kill those people. And he mentions, you know, it's like, it's like, the, it's, it's Martin Luther King. It's these people who are talking about these universal truths. And a lot of them are based in, you know, with the foundations of love and interconnectedness, like you're talking about. And we're always like, get out of here. <laughs> like you're, you're, uh, you're preventing the economic progress of our species or whatever it is. You're, you're, you're retarding the forward progress of humanity when really it's like, well, maybe we would, we would progress if, if we really saw how interconnected we were. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a, I'm going off on all sorts of tangents, but that, uh, I definitely agree with that. That is something I connect with that we're, you know, in many, we often, I think it comes down to scarcity. I think Mm. that when you look at the animal kingdom, rarely are they fighting, uh, just for fun. I mean, at least that's how it appears to me there, you know, and many, you know, what am I trying to say? Um, I understand what you're saying. I actually had this, well, actually I'm going to put a pin in that for a second. Uh, Would it stop with those three cards and then like sort of exactly what we're doing now? Is that how this would go? Well, if, if, for example, if that was a paid reading, which like, for example, I did not go far with it. Like I kind of gave you a quick snapshot of each card, but if we were going to go, first of all, we probably wouldn't do a three card reading unless it was about a five, 10 minute reading. Um, you know, a three card reading is, I mean, it's hard to say because if you think about minimalism, for example, it's the suggestion that so much can be said with very little. Mm. And you could go on that route or you could do, you could do a spread with every card falling. You could do every card, like every single card as part of your reading. That's another way to do it. Um, but how do you even begin to unpack that information? You might do it. Okay. This one came first. So it leads to that one and you start to try to fill in the blanks. Um, in fact, I think that's part of what you're doing with tarot is you, you're seeing three different islands of being for example, in a three-card spread. Mm. And you're thinking about how how could they be connected? And in the process of flushing out that idea, you are, what are you really doing physiologically? You're, you're um, building neuropathways, you're repeating them. Same way anyone doing anything creative, just conjuring in their mind, that's a magical word, but is it really that magical to have an imagination? So... Um, and from that conjuring, that's where the physical world comes from. That's where we get um, a radio or a microphone or a playing card. Uh, so I think there's an inherent uh, benefit, again, building the neuropathways by, by allowing your brain to float places where maybe it didn't float before. Mm. Um, but you can't really – you could you can try to get there on your own, but I definitely think that you need – a little bit of guidance. Again, I was really lucky to have people help me out. Like, you know, I was very lucky to have met Rachel Pollack and had a great com- conversation with her and I'm forever grateful to her. Um, and I'm grateful to have my mentor, uh, Reva, um, who, who's an incredibly, oh my God, I, 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 I would let her tell her own story only because it's so fascinating. Um, but she, she's really been, my primary guide, I think, when it comes to tarot. Uh, Rachel really helped me with the, uh, maybe the cerebral intellectual part of it. Um, but Riva helped me bring it back down to earth. And um, there's so many other people I would like to recommend, like, uh, but, you know, I can save it for another time. Yeah, maybe I'll, um, 
and and then maybe I'll start to wrap it after this. I know, like I promise, these are all sober thoughts, but like it, it's cool to get to sort of explore this stuff with you, uh, with Ken. It's stuff I think about a lot, and um, you know, I th- I'll, I'll unpin the thought from before. I had this conversation with my dad last night, actually, on the phone. But uh, I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan, and I just read a book he wrote called The World Jones Made. And, you know, likely if people know of him, like he wrote Scanner Darkly or um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. But in The World Jones Made, I mean, there's a lot going on. There's kind of like three main plot points. But in part of it, um, humans were looking to expand out within the solar system to sort of, you know, it's, I guess, like a knock on the imperialistic nature of uh, wealthy societies or successful societies. And um, they were ultimately prevented by this sort of alien-like plant thing that was that they called drifters. But uh, the point being in it, there was this desire to spread out among the world like as the Earth was sort of crumbling and in political turmoil and then possibly being invaded by these drifters. And I was thinking about that because my dad and I were talking about like the Space Force on the phone last night, which, I mean, we don't have to go deep on either, but I think there's some some practical measures with that or some practical ideas with that in that, you know, there's drone technology and satellites and things like that and countries are going to need to protect their intellectual, I don't know if you want to call it intellectual property that they now have, but... Um, he, he, we were talking about expanding to Mars and past that. And I was just like, I wonder why. And I was thinking about that book and I wonder if like ultimately it, again, it's like a fear of death or a fear of our demise, um, that makes us want to spread out rather than just like protect the one place that we're on already. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily looking to you for an answer for that, but that's sort of the thought that that I had pinned when you were talking about like the scarcity point, which I, I certainly think is true as well. But, but it's just to me, it's strange how we're like, we're very content with people being ground into dust as long as the wheel of progress continues to move forward. And pro- Oh, that's a beautiful point. Yeah, and propel people. I mean, that's why we look at, we, please, I'm going to take myself out of the way. That's, that's why, you know, the folks who are running things are okay with immigrants not having rights in healthcare or blue collar workers getting sick or whatever it is, because you know, the, whatever you want to call it, the capitalist model or whatever, like forward progress is the thing that matters. And it's going to take, you know, people getting flattened out by the, the forward momentum of that wheel into the future. And I think maybe that's also a reason why we're, we as a species, largely are okay with that happening because as long as human progress happens and uh, we prevent all of our demise, like that's a good thing for humans. <laughs> Not necessarily a point I agree with, but uh, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Uh, there's so much to that that I can bring up right now. <laughs> um, I think I think the main thing I'm going to immediately, I brought up recursion before and the idea of loops within loops. So if you, if you look at, I brought it up before, but the Visconti Sforza deck, and it was made by the Visconti family. And I'll tell you a fun fact about them is that if you looked at their genealogy, uh, their genealogical tree, they claim to have uh, Roman gods within their family tree. Mm. 
So this uh, origin of tarot story has an interesting side note in that, uh, in, in what I just said. But another part of it about this Milan family in Italy, uh, 1420, 100 years before that, in that same court, we had Petrarch. And he wrote a poem called E Triumphi. And E Triumphi means the triumphs. And that's what the Major Arcana is. Each one is a trump card. And if you were playing the game, the idea is that one of those trump cards would beat the other cards. Right. Like whatever card you threw, whatever number card you threw, if you had like a superpower trump card, like the Empress or the Hero Fan, you could win that hand. Hmm. And what's like the the time frame that that was created, if you know it? Um, the earliest that we have like a, a, what you could call a legitimate record, we've got three different decks in existence and they live in different places. Um, and and um, we don't know who painted them. There are theories. Uh, Benefacio Bembo is somebody that's often, or Bonifacio Bembo, often attributed as the creator of the Visconti Sforza deck. However, there's debate and we do not know, um, but we do have almost complete decks of tarot tracing back to for, around 1420, 1440. Whoa. Wow. Well, listen, <laughs> I mean, I think we can expand upon a lot of this and you know what I would love to do with everyone I've been recording with remotely is whenever things get as close to normal as possible or if there's a new normal or whatever I'd love to meet up with people so it'd be awesome to to cross paths someday and you know follow this up with a second one because I'm like infinitely fascinated by this stuff I didn't even know it would it would go in all these really cool directions uh, but I'm really glad it did and I, I think this was really cool and informative and Selfishly, it was very, very enjoyable for me. So, um, yeah. I'm glad it was for me too. And knowing you're from Smithstown and, you know, the hard part for me is I, I could, I feel like I, the truth is usually I do like four hour classes. Like, yeah. you know, I do an hour each, but I do it in four parts because there's so much to talk about. I love to talk about the history, um, but then people want to know how to do it. And, and of course, there's so much to it, uh, but it's a beautiful thing. I think you can tell that I love it. Yeah. Um, and also you're just a cool dude, man. <laughs> oh, thanks, Ken. Um, yeah. And, and likewise, yeah, it was, it was great that Laura connected us. Um, I'd love to send people maybe like in your direction. So can you give a plug to your website or I, obviously you're not doing talks in person right now, but eventually you will be like, where would people find out about that? Well, if people want to find out about me and what I'm up to, they can go to the Instagram and, uh, the name is the book unbound one word. Uh, website thebookunbound.com and if you want to write me an email it would be thebookunbound at gmail.com Awesome. That is a wrap on episode number 164 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. I want to say thank you to Ken for joining me on this episode. I had a great time talking to him and learning about tarot and having my, uh, having my cards read. That was really cool. I want to say thanks to, to Laura Gobbins as well who recommended that I reach out to Ken. The Voyager Network is strong, so thank you to Laura. And as always, folks, thank you to all of you for tuning in. Weather's getting nice now. I know that uh, 
whenever you can. You're looking to get outside. So I appreciate you, you know, choosing to, to listen to this when there's a, a lot of other things that you could be doing right now. All right, folks, that's it for today. More cool stuff coming in the very, very near future. So thank you again to you. And as always, please take care of each other.